Hi everyone, Carrie here. Just wanted to share with you that you can now listen to Jury Duty ad-free by becoming a patron to our Patreon. In addition to these ad-free episodes, you'll get exclusive access to the full Crime Story podcast catalog, including our interviews with groundbreaking crime storytellers like the creators of The Wire, Breaking Bad, and The Sopranos, and all of our reporting by Amanda Knox. Just search for Jury Duty via the Patreon website or the Patreon app. Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our coverage of the testimony of Richie McGinnis, wrapping things up with defense attorney Mark Richards' cross-examination of McGinnis, as well as the redirect examination led by prosecutor Thomas Binger. On today's episode, we begin our look at Prosecutor Binger's direct examination of his next witness, Ryan Balch, one of the armed individuals who spent time with Kyle Rittenhouse on the night of August 25th, 2020. That's all coming up right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prosecutor Thomas Binger calls Ryan Balch to the stand. Balch stands five foot nine with a stocky build and a crew cut. He wears a blue and white, open-collared short-sleeved shirt and a crew neck t-shirt beneath it. Binger elicits that Balch spent five years in the U.S. Army as an infantryman, including tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Binger then moves on to the night of August 25th, 2020. And I want to turn your attention to the night of August 25th, 2020. Did you come down to Kenosha that evening? I did. Why? Uh, we had been watching it on the news. Um, some of the people I knew within the protest group had said that things were rough down there. Uh, somebody made mention of a Facebook post. I didn't really pay attention to that one too much. Uh, but in general, we just decided to come down and help out. When you say we, who are you referring to? Um, the four people that accompanied me. What are their names? Uh, Jason Lukowski, Dustin Colette, and there was a female, I didn't know her name. Binger next asks Balch why specifically he came to Kenosha that night. When you were thinking about coming down, when you were driving on down to Kenosha, what was your plan? Where were you going to go? Um, we really didn't have a set destination. There had been several places that we'd been told might need some help. Um, but when we came in, most of those places were already occupied. So we ended up on Sheridan Road at 63rd and Sheridan. Obviously now you're familiar with Car Source. Correct. Um, prior to uh, coming down to Kenosha, had you ever heard of Car Source before? I didn't know it existed. Obviously had never shopped or worked there before. No. Okay. When was it that you first learned anything 
about car source? Um, when we arrived. And when you say when you arrived, where exactly did you arrive at? Um, the car source location on 63rd and Sheridan. Okay. What was, what were you actually intending to do physically? Like what was, what were you actually going to do when you got here to Kenosha? Um, the intent when we got down there was to stop the people from looting and rioting and whatnot. Um, most of the protesters that I talked to before coming down there were trying to control them throughout the night and it just wasn't working. So we were there to be more of a deterrence than anything. What were you going to do yourself personally to accomplish that goal? Uh, pretty much tell people to stop, just be, I mean, throughout the night, it kind of proved out that we didn't have to actually do anything to not have them do it. Just us being there seemed to work. If just being there was enough, why did you bring along an AR-15, a handgun, and wear body armor? Well, because those people could be armed, too. Um, if I'm going to get shot, I'd rather have body armor on, first and foremost. Um, and I would like to be able to defend myself from it as well. So is it fair to say that coming down to Kenosha that night, you were prepared for the possibility that there would be gunfire? That's correct. You were prepared to use your gun to defend yourself? That is correct. Were you planning on using the gun to protect the property that you were guarding? No. Binger then appears to again get bogged down for a few moments in trying to downplay the threat posed by a dumpster fire. At any point in this evening, did anyone try and start a fire at that car source location? Um, later on in the evening, they tried to start a dumpster on fire. And before that, they tried to light the church next door on fire. And that's uh, the church that's to the north across 59th Street? Correct. Okay. The dumpster that was attempted to be started on fire was actually located in the street when that event occurred. Is that Correct. right? They pulled it off the parking lot area of our source and lit it on fire in the street. So rather than try and light the fire where the dumpster is in the car source lot, they took it out in the road and then lit it on fire. Correct. And I believe that's where at some point that evening, Dustin Collette goes out and puts the fire out. That is correct. Okay. The prosecutor next leads Balch to describe how he and Kyle Rittenhouse ended up together at the 59th Street car source location. I skipped around a little bit there. I want to go back to where we were. Um, I believe you were describing how there was vans that met at 63rd. There was some sort of understanding that they would stay there and you and others would go up to the 59th Street car source. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. What did you do after that? Um, I went across the street to the hospital where the other guy had gone. Um, I met their guy they had watching the gate. And I didn't wholly trust the people who had agreed to stay down at 63rd. So I gave him my cell phone number and said, hey, if these guys leave or somebody starts breaking stuff, call us. Did you ever get a call that night? Um, no. What did you do after that? Um, we kind of gathered up. I think we took a picture. And then we went up to 59th. When you say we went up to 59th, who all came along with you? That would have been Dustin, 
the female, Denton Mertz, Kyle Rittenhouse, Dominic, and Nathan. Binger then zeroes in on Balch's initial interaction with Rittenhouse. Now, you mentioned earlier you met uh, the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse, that evening. Correct. And that was first at the 63rd Street car source, right? Yes. And then he came along up to the 59th Street car source. Yes. Did he ever tell you how old he was? Um, we asked the group when we first got there. They looked kind of young, and the general consensus was 19. Not sure what you mean by general consensus. Is that something the defendant actually said? Um, it seemed like as a group they were saying it, and I didn't ask. I was just kind of off to the side when that conversation happened. After uh, everything happened on August 25th, uh, you met with an FBI agent by the name of Tim Walther um, at your residence up in Jackson. Do you remember that? I do. And do you remember him uh, talking to you about this particular night? Yes. And do you remember telling him, and I'm going to quote from your statement here, Rittenhouse told Balch that he was 19 However, Balch thought he was younger. Do you remember saying that to the agent? I do. What was your impression of the defendant? Um, he seemed like a young and impressionable kid. Um, I use that term kind of broadly there. Someone way younger than myself. Um, he seemed to be really interested in what I'd done in life. Um, when Jason Lakowski showed up, he seemed to be interested in what he had done in life. Um, He'd explained some of the stuff he'd been doing, uh, the lifeguard, being a lifeguard, being EMT certified, stuff like that. So the defendant told you that he was a certified EMT. This is correct. And that he was 19 years old. This is correct. What did you think about the defendant being there that night? He had as much right as anybody else to be there. Did it seem like he was... Um, properly equipped or prepared uh, to be out there doing what he was doing that night? He seemed a little under-equipped and under-experienced as well, which is one of the reasons we kind of stayed with him. Did you feel like you needed to keep an eye on the defendant? Yes and no. I felt like as young as he looked and just the general way he was carrying himself, the protesters would have seen that as a weakness and tried to exploit that. Is it fair to say that you took it upon yourself that evening to um, stay close to the defendant to ensure there were no problems? Um, we pretty much all picked one of the guys that we met at 63rd and kind of looked out for him, yes. And you personally picked the defendant? Uh, it's kind of more of a he picked me kind of thing. At any rate, uh, it turned out that uh, you spent a lot of the evening close by the defendant Fair enough? That is fair. Okay. One of the things that the defendant was uh, asking you about was your military experience. Is that right? This is correct. What did you tell him about that? I just told him about the various deployments and what I'd done while I was there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Prosecutor Binger then guides Balch through his activities during the evening of August 25, 2020, between the hours of 8 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. So I want to talk about the time period from when you first got to 59th at around 8 or so, and that time at 9.30 or 10 when the protesters start getting pushed down your way. So there's an hour and a half, maybe two-hour period of time. Okay. During that time period, where were you located? Oh, for the most part, 59th. Was um, the defendant also there? That is correct. What were you doing? Oh, we were just kind of standing around talking. A couple of times, some of the protesters came over and told us that, hey, some people are trying to set this building on fire, so we'd go over there, and when we'd show up, they'd run away. Um, that's around the time that they tried to, we were told they were trying to light the church on fire. And at that point, we were told it was a bald guy with a red shirt. So let me stop you for a second. You indicated that there were times in which you received reports that someone was trying to start something on fire, and you said we would go over there. Who's we? Um, it was a mix each time. Did, uh, did the defendant ever go? He went with us at least once when we went over to the Stella when they were trying to break the windows out over there. Okay. So t- tell me what you remember about that. Um. So the same protesters that were carrying fire extinguishers before, they were from Kenosha. They had stopped and talked with us quite a bit. Um, in fact, we'd helped them carry one of somebody from up at the protest back beyond the police so they could take them to the hospital. And the defendant helped with that as well. Um, they came running down because there were, in their words, there were people trying to break into the Stella and light it on fire. Um, somebody had pointed a gun at them and the cops weren't around. So we headed across the other car source facility across the way into the burned out cars. And there were three to four subjects breaking out windows on the Stella and just milling around over there. And once we got to within a hundred yards of them, I believe it was Colette yelled out at them. They turned and saw us and they ran off. You were one of the people along with Dustin Collette that went over there? That's correct. Who else went with you? I want to say that Kyle was with us and one of the protesters who had told us about it. So I understand no one wants windows broken out or fire started anything like this, but what what gave you the right to go around and police that area? Um, well, there were members of the community that asked us to go help them. Who? Who? Uh, these four protesters. Well, those you characterized as folks walking with fire extinguishers. Were this they from the Stella? They came from that direction. Were they employed by the Stella? I didn't ask. You, is it fair to say you heard a report that somebody was up to no good and you decided to head over there and stop it? Correct. Other than that, you don't know anything more about what was going on? No. When you said, you mentioned something about a fire or somebody's trying to start a fire at that location. Can you tell us more about that? Um, yes, the same individuals that told us about the Stella showed up again and they described a female, two males, trying to light a fire at the church. What did you do? Um, we kind of just walked around 
the street to kind of look around there. When we got there, we could see somebody on the front of the church. They saw us. They ran off. Did you see anything more than that one person? Uh, no. Did you see what that person was doing? No. Did you see a fire? No. Did you put out a fire? No. We've talked about, and, and again, I, I started this with asking you about that 8 o'clock to 9.30 or 10 o'clock period of time, and you've described a couple of things, the Stella incident, the St. James incident. So beyond that, what other things were you doing in that period of time? Um, we were walking down to 63rd to check it out. At that point, we had figured out that the folks that said they were going to stay there no longer stayed there. So two at a time, people were going down there to check on it. Then they would go over to the ultimate, check on the guys over there, see what they were doing, and then circle back and come back. We've seen some photos and videos of the ultimate gas station. Would it be fair to say that there were people protecting that location that were similar to your group, you know, armed with long rifles, things like that? That is correct. And you mentioned that the whatever these vans were with these folks with melee weapons at 63rd, at some point in the evening you found out they weren't there anymore? That is correct. I want to ask more specifically about that. Was that something that you personally found out or you heard from someone else? Um, I kind of just heard it through discussion that there was nobody down there anymore. When you heard that, how many people were in your group guarding the 59th Street location at that point? It would have been around seven or eight. And you said you would send groups of two people at a time to go down to 63rd? That's correct. Were you ever one of those folks? Yes. Was the defendant? Yes. What was going on when you went down there? Uh, when we went down that way, there was nobody down there. Uh, a couple of the folks that had been down there initially had moved over to the ultimate. That seemed to be where they had kind of ganged up with the folks with the melee stuff had kind of gone. Okay, so I want to make sure I'm understanding you. You said a couple of the folks that were at the 63rd Street car source initially wound up going over to the ultimate gas station? That is correct. Were those folks that came in those vans? Um, One of them came at the same time the vans did. Okay. So the, one, one of the people that came at the same time as the vans did wound up at Ultimate Gas. That is correct. And it sounds like there may have been more more than just one person from 63rd that wound up at Ultimate Gas? There was one other guy that was with him when we showed up. Okay. So, is it fair to say that, speaking for you personally, Mr. Balch, you felt like it was part of your responsibility to not only guard the 59th Street car source, but also the 63rd Street car source. That is correct. Which is why you were and other folks were going down there to check on it. That's correct. Okay. When you describe these interactions with the people walking past, um, was the defendant present for any of that? He had one exchange that I saw. Who was that with? Just some random person in the crowd screamed, fuck you. At the defendant? Yes. How did the defendant react to that? He said, I love you too, ma'am. Prosecutor Binger then harkens back to Balch's reference in earlier testimony to a man that he would identify as Joseph Rosenbaum. You mentioned earlier that there was some sort of report of someone in a red shirt with bald head 
was reported to be involved in some sort of incident. I think I heard you mention that as yes. We now know with the benefit of hindsight who Joseph Rosenbaum was, and we've seen photographs of him in a red shirt and a bald hat. Um, let me start by asking, whatever report you heard uh, regarding Mr. Rosenbaum at that particular time, you did you ever see him at that time? Um, I had seen someone fitting the description, kind of milling in and out of the groups that were coming through. Um, every time he was around the groups, when now that I know who Joseph Rosenbaum was and can confirm who he was and stuff, um, he was not organic with the protesters. What do you mean by that? They didn't seem comfortable with his presence or the people that were with him. Who was with him? Uh, he had a male and a female that were with him pretty much consistently throughout the night. So you saw those folks together? Yes. Him and the male and the female? Did you ever see them speaking to one another? Um, the male and the female, yes. But as far as them talking to him directly, no. So you never saw Mr. Rosenbaum talk to that male or female? No. And you never saw the male and female talk to Mr. Rosenbaum? No. But you're, you saw them in proximity to one another, so you're making some sort of assumption that they had some sort of association. Is that fair to say? Um, I saw them in close proximity with each other several times led to that assumption. Okay. Uh, tell us about the first time that you observed Mr. Rosenbaum. Um, the first time he was just getting aggravated with someone in the crowd. And the protesters were trying to like separate him from whoever that was. And he was shouting, you know, fuck you kind of things to everyone. And they kind of walked off. And one of the things that stood out to me was the tall male that was with him had a handgun in his hand with the finger on the trigger pointing down to the ground. Now, you had an AR-15. This is correct. And you had your hand on the, the um, butt of that AR-15? No. At no point? Hand on the grip with the fingers straight forward along the side of the receiver. I, I misspoke when I said butt. I mean... I. The, the grip, the pistol grip of the AR-15, you had your hand on that with your, your finger, not on the trigger, but within close proximity. Fair that is say? correct. Okay. And this individual had a handgun right. with his finger on the trigger. This is correct. And that caused you to be concerned of some sort of what? Well, you're typically taught not to put your finger on the trigger unless you're ready to shoot. Um, the way he was holding it. Had anybody bumped into him or him tripped and fell, he would have been sending around off into who knows what. So I just saw it as unsafe. And the potential for some sort of tragic accident. Correct, or he was prepared for something. Did you ever see him point that gun at anyone? Um, no. Did you ever see him fire that gun? No. We are going to pause this look at Prosecutor Binger's direct examination of Ryan Balch here, and we will pick it up in our next trial coverage episode. In the meantime, please join us in our next episode for our weekly recap with Abby Smith. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.